0: Hi, this is Brent Skousen, the youngest son of W. Cleon Skousen. What you are about to hear is a live recording of a university lecture by W. Cleon Skousen as he taught his Old Testament course. We really are fortunate to have these recordings, although at the time they weren't anticipated to be released publicly. As these lectures were recorded live, they are unscripted and unedited. You will feel as though you are actually there. If you are following the Come, Follow Me curriculum from The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have tried to coordinate each lecture with this week's lesson, although there may be some overlap. For those interested in the text Brother Skousen and the students are using, it is published as The Third Thousand Years, written by W. Cleon Skousen, and is available at bookstores or online at skousen2000.com. And if you prefer listening to the text, there is a new audio version just published this year, which you can download from Amazon, iTunes, or Audible.com. Now sit back and join us in the classroom of W. Cleon Skousen. Enjoy! Now, do you have any
1: questions before I start asking some? Any questions, anybody? Somebody suggested the other day that they didn't get to ask their questions. Sometimes they have questions, so don't hesitate at the beginning of the class to... Let me hear from you. Uh, Reuben is the oldest son, and he's replaced by Ephraim, Joseph's heir. Simeon is replaced by Manasseh. Just as individuals, however, not permanently, they just wore two hats during their lifetime. After they died, then the descendants of Reuben took over and the descendants of Simeon took over. But these men held priority. Now, I don't suppose if you were a scenario writer in Hollywood that you could dream up a much more uh, exciting, dramatic situation than is in this life of this Joseph. Truth really is stranger than fiction. And you get an individual who's in direct connection, uh, contact with our Heavenly Father, who enjoys great spiritual powers, but has natural apt attitudes of service and anxiety to help people, just a natural leader, and you get him in all these kind of predicaments where he goes from uh, the pride of his father and a pet to nearly being murdered and then being in, in slavery and then uh, being subject to the seduction of uh, the slave master or the slave owner's wife and uh, being in prison for two years in, in a dungeon of all places, having a chance to escape but the baker muffed it and forgot to tell the pharaoh until the Lord intervened and the Pharaoh had his dreams. Then he comes out, and because of God's power in him, he becomes prime minister of all Egypt. Now, that, that, that really is something. And that's only the beginning of the story. And so we have him at what age becoming um, a prophet? When did he have his first dreams? 17. Seventeen, that's great. How many years was he as a servant of Potiphar? About 11. How long in prison? two and how old was he when he became prime minister that's just great now it'll stay with you all your life you'll notice that now that you've taken the trouble to get this straight in your mind it'll stay with you all your life with a little refreshing maybe occasionally <coughs> all right now he <coughs> he's told by the um, the pharaoh that he's to prepare for the seven years of famine which is coming and it's to be done during the seven years of plenty did all the people take advantage of the opportunity to lay up a little in store on their own that's strange same way among the saints today you got a handful prepared for six months a couple of fingers worth for one year and half a fingers worth for two years it's the same way we've been warned and warned and warned recently remember the first president said the problem is coming but we're not warning you anymore you won't hear any more sermons emphasizing storage of food. We're going on into other things. But the problem is coming. I well, thought that was kind of interesting. For about 20 years, that's all we heard. Every conference, be sure and store your food, store your food, store your food. Now, he says, we'll be talking about some other things. It's, it's a strange business. Now, how much did Joseph take on behalf of the government? Excuse me, question... Oh, that they wouldn't uh, uh, say it anymore? Um, That Brother Romney. It was in a, um, I think it was in one of the welfare uh, conferences uh, with the uh, regional authorities and bishops. I'd have to refresh my mind on the the circumstances, but it's been in print several times. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Your bishop mentioned it? Right. I know we got it in High Council, and and in fact it's been referred to a number of times, so it shouldn't be too hard to locate in print. But the quotation I heard was from Brother Romney. How much did did Joseph as the Prime Minister require everybody to pay in kind, that is in food? A double tithe, one-fifth. Now, this is the way they're going to end up after the famine, the income tax of the people the total taxation of the people will be 20%. Boy, what we wouldn't give for 20% tax. Our taxes you see are running up somewhere between 33 and 58%, depending upon who you are, of everything that you earn goes into some kind of taxes, direct or indirect. So some people say, boy, that double tie, that was a real rough tax. Now, if you have efficient government (laughs) Uh, 20% is plenty, and many of us have been advocating that what we ought to do is to stop all this falter all about special taxes on special things for special purposes and just levy a tax that's simple to administer. And don't stop to see how many children they have or anything else. If they've got income, they pay a certain percent to, for the privilege of living in America. What they do with the rest of the money that is their business. Do it just like the Lord does with tithing. You make a lot, you pay a lot. You make a little, you pay a little. And nobody comes into your private life to stir around and see whether your telephone was for, uh, to call your girlfriend or was a business call, you see. I mean, that's the way to do it in, a, in such a manner that it doesn't involve constantly getting into the private lives of the people. You might give that some thought. Your generation has to struggle with this. My generation messed up taxes beautifully see if you can straighten it out. And if you'll simplify it like Joseph did, I think you'll find it much easier to administer and you'll get more money. You could actually make it popular to pay a flat twenty percent. Taxes are very unpopular at this moment because of the inequities that are involved, the loopholes. The richest people are paying nothing. And the poor and the, well not the poor so much, it's the middle class that are really being socked, not the rich, not the poor be the day. 1984. Good night, big brother. I am now retiring. <laughs> now, Joseph got an, a, a new name, didn't he? And uh, he also got a new wife. He got a wife. What am I saying? He got a wife. He's been around quite a while not to have been married, too, but now he got a, a lovely wife, a seneth. What's his special problem with her? got to fall in love with her and what else? Convert her. And she's got to fall in love with him. This wife was appointed to him and you have her blood in your veins. You have her genes It mixed in with yours. She is your great ancestress. Semitic but heathen until she was taught the gospel by her husband. No reference to that. We just know Joseph would do it. <clears throat> now he had two sons who's the oldest it's interesting how often the heir turns out to be a younger son now who decided that the lord or joseph um jacob was the instrument who told jacob yeah he crossed his hands during the blessing that's kind of interesting we're coming to that Uh, all right um Now we have uh, Joseph administering the food during the period of hunger which was uh, all up and down the Mediterranean basin apparently, and uh, these boys all come down, ten of them, to pick up the grain for Father Jacob and their family. They've got a lot of herdsmen and so forth, and they try like everything not to have to kill their animals during a time of famine because then they have nothing to start out with. So being able to buy grain, were they rich people? Rich people? Yes, you bet. They laid it on the line. Silver and gold. This is a very frugal, well-managed family. And they came down silver and gold to the Egyptians for their corn or grain. Well, what's corn? Wheat. Okay. And you have Joseph administering it. Did the people go to the Pharaoh for food? Yeah, well that's right. They did go to Pharaoh though, didn't they? They, they, I mean they would make a, an appeal to Pharaoh no go to, go to my prime minister he's administering the food especially for strangers and so right away quickly uh, he starts um, he re- did he recognize them by the way they recognize him no it's been a long time how old is he now been 20 years since they've seen him he's in his 38th year isn't he somewhere in his 38th year so it's been 20-21 years since they've seen him right so they don't recognize him and we have this strange arrangement as soon as he recognized who they were he did something special how did he talk to them yes, they a translator so he did not understand Hebrew no Hebrew now what did he accuse them of spies. spies they said well no 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 we'll tell you about ourselves we're we had 12 brothers we got One at home, and one we don't know what happened to him, the rest of us are here, and my father. So then he makes that proposition, all right, we'll find out whether or not you have a brother at home. I'll see if you're telling the truth. The wheels are really going around Joseph's mind just how he'd work this out. He said uh, um, he's going to have hostages, uh, make hostages out of them and find out about it. He ends up with only having one as a hostage. Did these men feel guilty about killing Joseph? Yeah, when, when they found themselves arrested suddenly, here their father's a prophet and they've had great blessings as a family, all of a sudden they're starving to death, they go down to Egypt and they're in deep trouble. And uh, they just kind of talked among themselves about what would bring such a terrible uh, curse upon them and all this difficulty and problems. And they decided that it might be killing Joseph, or causing him to be killed, or whatever did happen to him. And Reuben says uh, um, you remember I told you don't sin against the child and you wouldn't hear me therefore behold his blood is required and we're probably getting this we deserve it he was killed by some means that we don't know of and we deserve it and it says Joseph understood them as they talked among themselves and, and as he saw them and how badly they felt did he think that they had sold him yes he did he didn't know about uh, all he knew is he was dragged out and and sold and he thought it was through their machination. Could he control his emotions? No, he, two or three times he weeps like a woman. He's very tender hearted, a powerful man, very efficient corporation president type of mentality, but tender as a woman in his feelings. So two or three times he has to go find a place to weep, get off by himself. So he wept and then he came and returned to them, communed with them and he said, I'll take Simeon and he bound him right there so they'd see that he was bound. And they said, now go get your brother. And of course that was terrible. And um, when, when Jacob was asked if he would send Benjamin, did he agree for the sake of everybody? Isn't that interesting? He said, not under any circumstances. What in convinced him he should send Benjamin? Starvation was facing them. When they ate up all the corn that the boys had brought back, starvation faced them. When they opened the um, sacks of wheat uh, after they got home, what astonished them? Yeah, money's there. The money they paid for the wheat's back in the wheat sacks. Strange business, something funny here. Anyway, Jacob finally says, "All right, if my my son, my other son's going to die, so he'll have to die. I guess go ahead. I guess I have to give him up." And so they went back down. And um, it says when they reached the capital city of Egypt, they once more sought out Joseph, but he didn't deal with them personally this time. The steward took them to Joseph's home. Now that was bad business. They're taken right off of the marketplace and taken to his home. And while they were talking, they decided to have a little chat with the steward, some kind of confidential. And um, they said, "I ho- hope you won't uh, feel badly about our not paying for that wheat." But you know what? We we gave you we paid for the wheat, and we got home. It's in the sacks. Steward says, "I know. I did it. I did it." But it's all right. It's all right. Relax. But they couldn't relax very good. And when Joseph came in, it says he didn't speak to them roughly anymore. Apparently he'd been uh, uh, before after all. These are the ones that tried to kill him. And he thought maybe they'd be hostile and so forth. He must have been pretty rugged to, with them. But it said he didn't speak roughly to him now. And he, and he asked him about the father. And, and, uh, he, and then he looks at Benjamin. Is this your younger brother? Yes. Oh, God be gracious unto thee, my son. And then uh, he said he had to hurry away because he had to find a place to cry. There's Joseph, there's Benjamin. It says, he entered into his chamber and wept there, then he washed his face and he went out and said, all right, let's eat, set bread, set bread. What was unusual about the way they set bread when they went to sit around the table, what was unusual? Everybody's in his proper order. You know, just, now you see these men are all, See, Joseph is much younger than these men. These men are all up in their, um, uh, let's see, 37, 38. They probably are all between 40 and 60. And when men are between 40 and 60, it's awfully hard to tell between 40 and 60, especially when there's just a gap of a couple of years. Now he gets them all in the right place. Then they notice something unusual when the food's served. (laughs) Benjamin gets extra special, more than he can eat so th- then we have um, this very dramatic situation after the meal he, he says uh, he makes a proposition to them he says that um, Benjamin must remain behind he's going to keep him we don't know exactly what he, what he had in mind he kind of changed his plan here as you know as the thing went along who was it that pleaded with Joseph not to keep uh, this is all
0: after the silver cup yeah
1: when they went home they went out on, and they brought them back and Benjamin had the silver cup and, and Judah then pleaded on behalf of of holding Benjamin uh, the plot was to get Benjamin and, and keep him there that's obviously what Joseph had in mind yeah, he wanted an excuse to hold uh, Benjamin and apparently to bring uh, the father down I think we think that's what he was, uh, had in his mind but anyway you have Judah saying but what do we say to our father and so forth they were willing to what What were they all willing to do to redeem themselves the whole family they they were willing to all come there and pay it off as bond servants over a long period of time and uh, then they pleaded on behalf of their father and and so we finally have Joseph coming forward and uh, telling them who he is says he wept so loudly that the Egyptians in the house heard him and the eleven brothers stood there petrified when he said I'm Joseph I talk about a bolt out of the blue that was one Joseph, come near to me I pray you I am Joseph your brother whom you sold into Egypt and be not grieved God did it to save your lives and my father's life it was all in fulfillment of the purposes of God now I'll go up to our father and bring him back, and we'll settle all of you in the land of Goshen, which is a very good place for lots of flocks. And it is. It's along the east branch of the Nile, and it's an area where uh, there just weren't very many people settled. For some reason or another, they like to settle in the delta or um, in the central delta, uh, either down near Memphis, where the delta comes to a point, or up in the central delta. So Goshen was a very good place to uh, to have them and after having explained to them what he wanted them to do then he embraced and kissed each one of them that must have been a strange feeling for Reuben and Simeon and Judah as he took Joseph in his arms he's an older man than Joseph here's a man that's saving their lives their own brother that they tried to kill or sell as the case of Judah when Joseph got to Benjamin what happened? yeah he couldn't hold back the tears. Both of them, like Jacob and Esau, human beings do this. Men who have not cried haven't lived yet and suffered. They will. Men cry. The toughest of men cry when the circumstances are right. So he kissed all his brethren, sent them home with wagons. Now it's kind of interesting who who told him to send back wagon loads of stuff, not just, uh, the Pharaoh, that, that's so amazing to see how he loved Joseph and what confidence he had in him. Bring your father down and his family and and uh, I'll see that they have a livelihood. Of course, Joseph, anything that you've saved my whole people, in other words, by all means, bring them down. Send wagons. So they did. Then I, and then the chapter ends, uh, I think, interestingly, as... Um, We have Father Jacob welcoming home this caravan of wagons and grain and clothes and everything and going out to to see them and having these boys suddenly say, Joseph is alive. Joseph is alive. He is the governor over all the land of Egypt. The old man heard the words. What happened to him? Heart failure. Something grabbed him and says Jacob's heart fainted. And he believed them not. Then they finally explained to them that it was really true. They revived him, gave him smelling salts, ammonia, or whatever they used to use. And when Jacob saw the wagons which Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of Jacob uh, Jacob, their father revived. And Israel said, It is enough. Joseph, my son, is yet alive. I will go and see him before I die. Uh, That must have been a great reunion when they came down. Now I've... um, indicated to, to you in the record why we think Jacob was a little hesitant about going down into, into uh, um, Egypt. What was the reason? Did he know about the prophecy? Yeah. There was a prophecy that if they went down into Egypt uh, they would uh, go into slavery or they were going to go into slavery into a foreign land. They knew that from the prophecies of Joseph. They had been warned about it. Abraham had been warned about it and uh, so jacob now was a little bit reluctant to go until god gave him approval and said it was all right for him to go that this was all part of the program and when they got down into um, egypt they were settled along this east branch of the nile there are three or four branches that come down here goshen is right along in here and ramesses where moses and the children of israel will build a treasure city you see is right here So when Moses and his people depart into the wilderness, they come here, and uh, they had to come up a little bit to go around this point. Uh, But uh, I just want you to notice they're up here, not down here where many of the Bible's writers put it, down here at Thebes. That was not the capital then. It was right up here at Memphis. And that's why it wasn't very difficult to make one stop at Succoth or Booths, and then to get over here to the point of the Suez uh, Gulf, And then the great pillar of light that would ordinarily take them around here and bring them up to the promised land turned back from that point and came down on this side of the Red Sea and trapped them, trapped them right there. Wasn't very wide, but too wide to swim. And that's when the Pharaoh's horses and everybody came storming out and trapped them there, and they crossed right there. Now today you can cross easily because that's all dried up. You have this area and this area, and then all connected with a canal going up there. But this will give you an idea of where Goshen was and how it related to these other things that uh, come a little later in our story. Now Joseph presented his father and five of his brothers to Pharaoh, and he, he set it up so that they would say all of the right things and follow the proper protocol when they got there. We had a very interesting conversation between the Pharaoh and Joseph. Um, uh, excuse me, and Jacob now Jacob thought, thought that um, his life was about done He's just like his father, his father thought he was going to die at 117 and he lived another 63 years uh, so um, the same thing happens here to Jacob, he thinks his life is full he's seen many days he's going to die and actually uh, he lived on up to 145 uh, um, now, as soon as the famine was over, we have something occurring which has been misinterpreted in very many of the textbooks. Um, during the famine, did Joseph s- distribute grain to the people? Uh, here's your family, we know you've got seven children, this is how much you need. Is that what he would do? He'd dish it out, so many buckets? He'd use a strange method that a lot of people who, who uh, have great compassion for humanity would never have agreed with, what did he do? He sold it. Now, doesn't that mean that the poor are going to suffer? Under that system, wouldn't the poor suffer? You'd think they might, wouldn't you? Here's actually the way it works. This is ninety-five percent an agricultural society. This means that anybody that has land and uh, Um, the things that go with land are in a position to buy the wheat and then to whom will it go? Yeah, it'll go to all their relatives. It was an ideal way to distribute it so that what wouldn't happen? No waste. Therefore no hoarding. Uh, Could they hoard? If they had a lot of money could they hoard a little? Um, it doesn't tell us whether they limited the purchase or not. The likelihood is that he did. He would have administered it carefully so that nobody would have gotten a grain market uh, um, monopoly. In any event, after they had sold all their cattle to the Pharaoh and all their personal possessions and all their wealth and all their gold and silver, they don't have anything left but what? Their land. land. Did he make them give up their land? Yeah, they even bartered away their land so all during the latter part of the famine they were completely dependent upon um... the emergency distribution of the grain by Joseph but when prosperity returned again what happened to the land? what happened to the land? it all went yeah he gave them seed told them to go back on their land Uh, they had sold it to the Pharaoh but was he giving it back to them on condition that they do what? That they were willing to pay a double tithe each year for the support of the government. So it all went back free enterprise again. Some people say well this is the first socialism in the world. No. They don't understand Joseph nor how it operated. Because the government didn't own the land. They gave it back to the people and said, now you're, the only obligation you have now is one-fifth of the profits each time. Double tithe. Now, you see, if you paid 10% of your income to the church and another 20% to um, the government to take care of all of our resources and problems, and that leaves 70% for you. That's pretty good. That's a lot more than you have now. In our present situation now um, as Jacob approached the end of his life and began to be ill he was in Egypt for 17 years before it became time for him to die we're told Um, he was very anxious that something happen after he had died what was that let's see have you had this chapter Oh I'm sorry shouldn't be asking these questions because actually I'm trying to anticipate a little bit anyway and uh, that was that he not be buried in Egypt and so and sure enough uh, his son Joseph took took the covenant that he would not be buried in Egypt and that he would be taken back and put in the cave of Machpelah and then During a period of severe illness, when it definitely was coming close to the end, and the word reached Joseph down at the capital, what was going? He rushes up to see his father, but he didn't go alone. He took Ephraim and Manasseh, so that his father, his father, could give uh, this blessing that he wanted on the heads of his two sons. And uh, there's where we have that remarkable blessing to Ephraim and Manasseh, and Joseph puts the two sons forward so that the right hand. Our uh, Father Jacob will be on the head of Manasseh. And this old man, trembling with age, reaches out and started to bless them. And he just barely got the blessing uh, started when Joseph interrupted and says, not so, my father, for the eldest is on your right. And the old man says, I know.
0: <laughs>
1: he went right ahead with the blessing. So. The Lord has a, uh, a way of doing that, but actually it, it hasn't meant uh, too much. Manasseh and Ephraim have always been very close and um, they are united in their responsibilities and during the millennium we, we work together as uh, sons of Joseph uh, unitedly. Uh, should be no problem. He stated that uh,
0: Ephraim and Manasseh would take the birthright of Reuben and Simeon who then would take the birthright of
1: Joseph? Well they carried it too. They they had a a A double assignment but only as individuals. In other words the tribe of Ephraim has not inherited the tribe of Reuben. Do you follow that? All you had actually was uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. From this 11th you had manasseh and ephraim and all that jacob did was to transfer this one here and this one here to supervise those tribes during their lifetime now after ephraim was dead the tribe of reuben um, carried on themselves this tribe carried on itself, and this tr- this remained the airship. Here's the direct line: Jacob, Joseph, Ephraim, with Manasseh coming in on joint blessing. So that's why I say the priesthood each line. Yeah, right. patriarchal line comes down there. Any question now? Further? So
0: Manasseh and Ephraim were patriarch over those.
1: during their lifetime. lifetime. They presided over them. No, as it's listed, sometimes it looks that way because when they get into the land of inheritance, Manasseh and Ephraim are the productive tribes. Joseph was the one that received um, uh, the blessings of abundant children. They really were big tribes. Manasseh and Ephraim, both of them. So, so, So the territory was divided as between them, but there's still only 12 tribes, and we who are of Manasseh and we who are of Ephraim consider ourselves of one tribe. I thought Levi didn't get a uh, land in here. That is right. But still 12 tribes. Uh, Levi was, because they're the only ones that could do the sacrificial of priesthood, they were scattered among each and every tribe and received portions of each one of the land. That's right. They did not any land collectively. right Ephraim and Manasseh got separate lands and therefore uh, people would say well that made up for Levi as far as your counting is concerned but I don't think that there they, that it's even related uh, Ephraim and Manasseh were divided because there were so many of them Levi was not divided and given a territory because they wanted them scattered among the tribes but I don't think... This question of whether there are twelve or thirteen comes up quite often, but I think that's merely a coincidence. Uh, they're just twelve tribes, and how they divided them, scattered them around for assignment purposes, really wasn't pertinent to the number involved. Do you have another question?
0: Wondering about the uh, uh, today, we assume that the uh, the Levites' inheritance is the Coens. and uh, uh, who is the as far as concerned.
1: Uh, the today Levi is identified among the Jews as the Cohens, uh, meaning priest. And now your question is, who are the Jews? Well, the who, who, who stem from Judah. Still recognizable. Well, so far as we know, the, the people that were seen by Orson Hyde in vision are the ones that are going back to Israel. They are the Jews. Now there are people who hate Jews and are anti-Semitic. They really do despise them. They try to pretend that these aren't real Jews. These are Khazars out of Asia and that Jesus wasn't really a Jew. Every once in a while you see a little article, Jesus was not a Jew. Well this is ridiculous. And it's an effort on the part of some Christians to justify the hatred they feel for Jews. And uh, there are some Jews that deserve um, a certain amount of of, uh, resentment. And there are some Americans, and they certainly deserve some resentments, and some Irish, and some Danes, and some French, and some British, etc. But I've noticed that these people that get a hang-up on anti-Semitism, they so want to be able to love Christ and hate the Jews. And so President Grant issued a letter to the Saints, which I've included in my Book of Mormon series, in which he said no Latter-day Saint should be be involved in anti-Semitism. If you have a Jewish person who's made some terrible mistakes or betrayed his country or something, don't say there goes a Jew, call him by name. If it were an Englishman, you wouldn't say there goes an English traitor, but you see they do with Jewish people, and they get a hang up. We have a paper that's called Common Sense, taking it after Thomas Paine's article, showing that the Jews are responsible for everything bad that's happening in the whole world practically. Well, that's all Hitler had to do to justify some of the terrible things he did. This is Lucifer's technique. And so, if you happen to be offended by a person who is Jewish, don't say uh, that that Jewish person is offensive, rather call him by name. If it's English or American or Canadian or whatever, let each individual stand on his own and not blame the religion or church he belongs to or the nationality from which he comes. Now after having blessed uh, the two sons of Joseph, he then turned around, gave each of his sons a blessing, and of course uh, uh, Reuben and Simeon get nothing. And all the others get special blessings, but who are the tribes that got the great blessings? The great blessings of all the tribes, who were the two? Joseph and Judah. Uh, Judah's blessing was primarily what? Leadership, the throne, the crown. What's the basic um, blessing of Joseph? What's the basic blessing of Yo- Joseph? Fruitfulness and the fact that he is, his branch would run over the wall, meaning that's the symbolism for coming to America. And so I, I um, listed in your book a brief summary of each of the blessings to each of the sons, and those that I ask you to remember are primarily Judah and Joseph, the primary blessings. Actually, the other sons don't account for very much. It's sort of amazing. You've got these two outstanding tribes and the others uh, just run around the periphery. They never do amount to anything much. Now, when Jacob did die, finally, uh, he was embalmed. And so I've included here... Um, or is this in the first 2000? Let's see... Yes, I think it is. So let me just describe briefly what, what they do. When they would take the body for embalming, which had never been done to the Hebrews before, uh, but in order to get him back safely into the cave of Machpelah and preserve his body as best they could, why, he went through the embalming process. Uh, thank you. Uh, appreciate that. Let me just read this to you. It's kind of interesting. Oh, did you, is it in 42? Six oh, way in the back. Maybe it's the same one then. Yeah, Herodotus describes the Egyptian bombing process. Did I have that in a note? Yes, yeah, so we did, didn't we? Thank you. Written so many books now, I can't find things in my own books anymore. When they, the relatives, have agreed upon the price, they depart, and those with whom the dead corpse is left, proceed to embalm it after the following manner. First of all, they with a crooked iron draw the brain out of the head through the nostrils. Next, with a sharp Ethiopic stone, they cut up that part of the abdomen called the ilia, and that way draw out all the bowels which, which having cleansed the cavity and washed with palm wine, they again rinse and wash with wine perfumed with powdered odors. Then filling up the belly with pure myrrh and, and cassia, cassia uh, grossly powdered, and all other odors except frankincense, they sew it up again. Now that's the thoracic cavity, the ilia. Um, having so done, they salt it up close with nitre, 70 days. With Jacob, it was 40 days. For longer than they may uh, not salt it. After this number of days are over, they wash the corpse again and then roll it up with fine linen, all be smeared with a sort of gum commonly used by the Egyptians instead of glue. Uh, Then is the body restored to its relations, who prepare a wooden coffin for it in the shape and likeness of a man, and then put the embalmed body into it, and thus enclosed, place it in a repository in the house, setting it upright against the wall, and after this manner they with great expense preserve their dead. And their religion said that as long as the body remained uh, intact, the spirit could return to the earth any time that it wished. So it was very important to keep the body intact. Thank you, bud.